And I wanted to, uh, you know, go a little longer on worship this morning. Uh, this message won't take us long to get through, but um, I missed worship. And I thank you guys so much for the uh, sprint we ran on the prophetic words and things y'all helped us with. So um, I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. If I can ask, you were preparing something for in, to get into a chapter of a book. Mm. Four o'clock was your moment. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened? I got it done. Yeah, it only took me, what, an hour or two? Mm-hmm. I was shocked. I had <laughs> set aside well, I, I four. For two things Conf- yeah. confidence and simplicity. Yeah, well, I had confidence for sure. Um, I think I kept it pretty simple. You want to be overpressured, anxious. I prayed against anxiety and pressure. Because you you know, I know you got the intelligence to get this out done. So, no biggie. No, it seemed to flow. It was supposed to be seven to eight pages, ended up being ten. Because I asked him, I said, do you want all the scripture references? He said, yes. I like the scriptures spelled out in, in books. I said, me too. But there's a lot. He's like, that's fine. Anyway, mine ended up being the longest chapter. And I was like, hey, you wanted the scriptures. If we didn't have them in there and we just had like little footnotes, it wouldn't have been as as long. But anyway, he didn't. And that sent over to him draft. And he didn't proof it or nothing. He read it, stuck it in there. And I'm like, well, I hope there's no misspelled words. <laughs> you know? Autocorrect and stuff. So, uh, I appreciate you guys praying. So, Bob was in trouble. He forgot his wedding anniversary, and his wife was really angry. She told him, tomorrow morning, I expect to find a gift in the driveway that goes from zero to 206 seconds, and it better be there. The next morning, he got up early, left for work. When his wife woke up, she looked out the window. Sure enough, There was a box gift-wrapped in the middle of the driveway. Confused, the wife put on her robe, ran out to the driveway, brought the box back to the house. She opened it and found a brand-new bathroom scale. (laughs) Bob has been missing since Friday. (laughs) Oh, that was funny. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to start with verses 13 through 14. And it says, Now when God made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater than himself, he swore an oath on his own integrity to keep the promise as sure as God exists. So he said, Have no doubt. I promise to bless you over and over and give you a son and multiply you without measure. Okay, so what I love about this section now that we're going to go into is how Paul introduces Abraham. And the reason that's important is because remember, he's speaking to Jewish believers who left Judaism to follow Jesus Christ, who are are encountering persecution, right? And so he somehow has to tie Abraham, who they call the father of their faith. I mean, he is the epitome. Not even Moses ranks what Abraham ranks to um, the Jewish people. And so he introduced him into the equation, and I love it. And he says that basically... 
Hebrews is all about the faithfulness of God. And now he's going to start getting into some language that will show how faithful God is even more than he has so far. But he's basically saying that God could only swear to Abraham that he would keep his promise as sure as God exists. In other words, there was no one God could swear by that was higher than him. Higher than him. So he basically swore by himself. And when we get into the original language, it's really neat uh, and, and what exactly he did. Now, an, another reason that this is important is that no devout Hebrew would ever say that God doesn't exist. So the equivalent is, is to say that God doesn't keep his word is almost like saying he doesn't exist. You know what I mean? So, so for you to doubt his faithfulness, he's saying, and return to the old is to basically say God does not exist. And that would be a huge no-no. And they know that if they said that or they do anything that implies that, they would not be spending eternity with him. So they would never say that. And then remember that the name given to Moses by God to share with the Hebrews was Yahweh, which is literally the self-existing one. Okay? So I think that that was the idea Paul was trying to evoke. But let's break down the words here because it's, it's really neat. So the word promise is epigello, I guess, E-P-A-G-G-E-L-L-O. In the Greek, it's two words, epi, which means from, and then agello, which means to tell or declare. So it's to proclaim as public announcements or decrees, hence to announce a message, summons, or a promise. Used in the absolute sense, it is to give a promise. Now, we've talked about this, but I think that it's important to understand and reiterate again that the word promise lets us know that it's fulfilled in your decree. Like, if, if Father had never given his prophets the prophecy of Jesus and promised, guess what? Jesus would have never existed. Jesus was created in the decree. Now, what am I saying? That Oh my gosh, are you saying that Jesus is created... Jesus the man would have never become man if it had not been prophesied through the prophets under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Unto us a son will be born whose government will be upon his shoulders that will never be removed. Or uh, was it Bethlehem or Nazareth? Where He was born in Bethlehem. You know, it, there are prophecies about that and how he would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, he'd be raised in Nazareth. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, the Messiah. You know, like all these different prophecies. Uh, Psalm, um, or Isaiah 50, what is it? Is it 53? Yeah, the... Um, is it by his stripes? And, yes. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, or Isaiah 53, that prophesied of his work of the cross. So every single aspect of Jesus was decreed in a promise before God became man. Does that make sense? So Jesus has always existed, 
but in the form of man it was prophesied. Uh, another scripture in Isaiah says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And I'm telling you now so that you can't say that I didn't tell you beforehand what I was going to do before it even happened. You know, so the same thing applies in our lives. We are the sum total of our beliefs and our decrees. So what we see in our lives is the result of our beliefs and our decrees. And I think we also found this uh, to be true in the Philippians where Paul said, you know, I want the fruit or the reward that comes to your account. So he was referring to them supporting him as an apostle personally. They supported him unlike all the other churches from the very beginning. And he said, I'm not seeking after the gift because I've learned how to be content. God will take care of me no matter what. But I am seeking the reward that comes to your account. How that word account is logos. So I'm seeking the reward that comes to your word that is spoken in the form of a promise and a decree. So a lot of people aren't capturing their harvest because they're not decreeing the promise. Okay, so that's very, very important. So God speaks it, and then you speak it in agreement. So the promise God declared to Abraham was one of a blessing, a son, multiplication of his seed without measure. The word swear, or he swore by, is uh, O-M-N-U-O. And it's a very interesting word. It means to affirm the truth of a statement by calling on a divine being to execute sanctions against a person if the statement in question is not true. It could be summed up in phrases like to say something by calling on God to listen, to state that something is true and asking God to punish you if it's not, or to make God responsible for what one has said. So, where the Lord said, let your yes be yes and your no, no, um, there was a bad habit that they would swear by God that what they were saying was true on everything, and then some of it not doing. And so, um, he was like, you know, your yes now is the same as a promise or a swearing. And then the word by is very interesting. It's kata. And it's a marker of a supernatural person or force called upon to guarantee the carrying out of an oath or vow. Isn't that interesting? Is that like saying, well, God's my witness? Yeah. And what's interesting is, like, when you look at this whole thing, so it's like God is saying, I am speaking to you a promise, a truth. And it has to be upheld by a divine being. Right? Well, there's no one higher than God. So as the highest divine beings, we know there are other divine beings, but there, is, there are no other God like Him, right? So we know that He is the self-existent one that created all beings that have ever existed or will exist. And the reason I'm, I'm qualifying that is because we do know from Psalm 82 that there are other gods, right? The divine counsel. So, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, she's like blasphemy. Yeah, I'm not blaspheming. Um, but we know that God is God. There's no one higher than himself. 
So he was calling upon himself to then, number one, if I don't keep my word, I will have to punish myself. And then you have to have a supernatural person or force to guarantee the carrying out of the oath, and that's him. So God is going to swear by himself, and then he's going to himself carry it out. That's what that phrase where his right arm, you, you pull up the sleeve, and you get to work, that mighty arm that intervenes. Um, he's born, he, laid his arm bare. You know, uh, that's what that is. Well, is, it, is this really similar to when he made the covenant with Abraham? And Abraham was asleep. Abraham really didn't have much involvement in it. Right. I mean, really. You know, he went and made this covenant. And basically, he was ma I think he was making a covenant with himself about Abraham. I mean, oh, didn't well, he? Well, he I was mean, making a promise to mankind right. uh, to send one who would basically deliver us, but also the Holy Spirit. But what was interesting, and we've talked about this before too, it was an ancient you know, mm -hmm. ceremony that he conducted mm -hmm. that was very native to the culture back then where the inferior party right. walked right. Through, the, through the pieces. Right. And so he was showing that God was going to humble himself and become a man because only God could do it. So his promise to us was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world so that we could become mm -hmm. basically him. He would give us his nature and then his Holy Spirit was the guarantee right. or the supernatural force. That's why it says he's the author and the finisher of our faith because he made a promise to us, he gave us his nature, and then the Holy Spirit's our guarantee. The only thing that can break the covenant is if we walk away. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, Abraham really couldn't do anything except no. believe. Mm -hmm. That's all he could really do. Mm -hmm. So that when he made this covenant, it was... Like I said, it started and it finished with him. Mm -hmm. Abraham was kind of participation by being there. Right. The only know. thing he did is he yeah. kept the birds away. Exactly. And then God actually put him to sleep. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with Adam. Adam had nothing to do with the covenant. We had nothing to do with it. In fact, we hated him. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it's it's very interesting. But this... this but thinking where he's swearing on himself, to me, that just has that same flavor. It does. As the well, that's what it's referring to. The, the covenant. Yeah, right. this is referring to that moment where he made that covenant right. with Abraham. Yeah, that's what Paul's bringing to mind. And so basically, if he didn't fulfill his oath, he would cease to exist as God. Because God cannot lie. That's how faithful he is. So it's a powerful, powerful act and statement here, which is why Paul said that he swore by his own integrity to keep his promise as sure as he exists. Since it's impossible for God to lie, and it's impossible for him to not exist, then it's impossible for him to not keep his word. So then let's carry it into practical life. So that means anything that happens to us that is apart from the promises of God doesn't mean God didn't fulfill his part. Because Jesus is the sum total of his promise. You know, the Holy Spirit is the evidence and the guarantee that he keeps his promises. So anything that is deficient or lacking in our lives 
that right there is nothing to do with him and everything to do with us, right? So, anyway, I think if more people knew how faithful he is to his word, maybe we would have a lot more results and, and a less uh, wrong doctrine. Now, the um, implied truth here, the point is not the definition of the word, but more an implied idea of these two words. Okay. Uh, so, in 2 Peter 1, 3-4, I want to look in the English Standard Version, and it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Now, that's a very, very, very important phrase right there. Because one reason His divine power may not be evident in a particular area of life is we've not yet gained the knowledge of Him in that area. Does that make sense? It's like when Abraham knew Him as Yahweh Rophe, uh, I mean Yara, the God who provides, right? When He provided the ram to be slaughtered in His son Isaac's place. Okay, so that was an unveiling of Him. Well, the whole thing actually is not that he just provides for you financially. That actually is epitomized in God himself will provide a sacrifice. That's what that literally means. So we have another promise. Uh, Hebrews says that Abraham taking Isaac, who was about 23 at the time. He was 22 or 23. He wasn't a young lad that we're thinking 13 or so, he was an adult that could have chosen not to be put on the altar. He could have said, hold up, hold up. There are laws against this. And I don't want to be murdered by my dad. No, he somehow understood what was happening. Well, Hebrews tells us that Abraham walked out a parable and that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Right? So all of that, that whole thing was a prophetic act combined with a prophetic decree that was another building block into the DNA of Jesus Christ becoming man. Isn't it interesting? Like if you look back at those things, he's literally forming Jesus Christ with his words and his prophetic acts. Isn't that interesting? So uh, even something as simple as David eating the showbread. Yeah, that right there was a prophetic act. I mean, there's just so many neat things there. Okay, so knowledge right there is experiential knowledge. So by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through them you may be become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, so... Through the promises, we share in his divine nature. Uh, the word power there is dunamis. He's given us divine dunamis, dynamite power, explosive power. So we have the spirit of power, if you're spirit-filled, on the inside of us. I make a very clear line. It's not just being born again. 
If you want the dunamis, dynamite, transformative power of God on the uh, inside of you, you have to be Holy Spirit baptized. That's a separate baptism. Now, does it mean you're not born again and your spirit's not been renewed or, or anything? Of course not. You can go to heaven. But if you want to actually be built into the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, you have to have the Holy Ghost. And it's all through the book of Acts. And so... Actually, you, we're commanded to be filled. Well, yeah, it's not an option. And then Paul, like when he found some of the Baptists, you know, he's like, have y'all been, you know, spirit-filled? They're like, we've not even heard that there's a spirit. And he's like, oh, well, we need to get that fixed. So it is not a one thing that happens when you're born again. It is a complete separate act. And so I think that's very important. I think that truth needs to be taught more and more and more. This is interesting, the mirror Bible on that, on that uh, third verse there. It said, by his divine engineering, he gifted us with all that it takes to live life to the full, where our ordinary day-to-day -day life mirror our devotion and romance <coughs> with our maker. And then it says, his intimate knowledge of us introduces us to ourselves again and elevates us to a position where his original intention is. So, um, I forgot to charge everything, obviously. Um, oh, it was charged battery just one. Oh. Because you need to change the pack. It says. Huh. Okay. So anyway, um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, that's the Second Corinthians three seventeen and eighteen, where it says that um, as we behold Him, as we gaze upon Him, as in a mirror, we are transformed by the Holy Ghost. Where most Bible translations say from glory to glory, but it's actually uh, not from glory to glory. It's more you see another aspect of His glory. Bam, that's who you are. You see another one. Bam, that's who you are. It's an unveiling of who he is in you. That's what it is. And all of a sudden that cover's removed and you're like, oh, that's who I am. And that's what that's talking that's about. That's what that's talking about. I think it's very interesting because, you know, we get into this discover who you are thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think when I read this, in order to discover who you really actually are, you have to have a relationship with God. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And people... You know, they kind of want to put that to the side, like we're little servants that you just, all you are is a, I don't know, peon towards God or whatever you want to say. But what this is saying, in order to really discover our destiny, our future, who we are, not just, you know, who God created us to be, mm -hmm. we have to have relationships so He can reveal that to us. And He has to reveal who He is because right. that's how we know who we are. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. So, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling, okay, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it's through the experiential knowledge of Him that we access those things, not just by being born again or going to church or praying, it's in the person of the Holy Spirit that we have access to the power for transformation. Now, the next granting is his precious and very great promises. These promises are just as sure as the ones given to Abraham. And, and Jesus shed his blood to make them a reality in our lives. Okay, so it's through these 
that we share in his divine nature, which is why it's so crucial to be pursuing the fullness of the reality of Christ in us. Now, the promise given to Abraham wasn't just that he would multiply. It wasn't just that he'd have kids. Remember, we've learned this a while back. The promise given to Abraham was Holy Spirit. That was, he was saying, I'm going to send my Holy Ghost. In fact, when John the Baptist said, I should be baptized by you, some think that he was referring to water baptism, but others think he was actually as any good Old Testament prophet, because he was the last Old Testament prophet, some think he was actually wanting the Holy Spirit baptism. He said, I need to be baptized by you. Because remember, he'd say, one's coming after me who's going to baptize not with water, but with fire and the Holy Spirit. So he knew that Jesus wouldn't baptize with water. He was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of them, they would search the scriptures to see when these things would happen. And so what threw him is when he got arrested and he's like, where's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? None of them foresaw the need to be born again. They didn't see that he would die and be resurrected except for a few like Isaiah did, uh, David did. Did they understand for sure what they were saying? I don't know. Isaiah might have because he saw it very, very plainly. Uh, so John, when he didn't see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when he is instead in jail, and then he's like, hey, you know, are you the one? That's what tripped him up. Okay? That's what got him messed up. Because he knew that he was going to come, and he was going to take away the sins of the world and get everybody baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's why he said, you guys... Don't yep. Because an yeah, he's thinking he's made a mistake. Yeah. So then Jesus, what was the first thing he said? Blessed are those who are not offended. Number one, because when we have expectations, they're the breeding ground of offense. So blessed are those who are not offended. Number one. Number two. Go tell John the blind see. Yeah, that's the first one. Yep. Isaiah. Only the Messiah could heal the blind. So that was an assurance to John. Okay, he's the right one. It's just probably not going to be how I thought it should be. Okay, so it's a very interesting, you know, thought and dynamic. But Holy Spirit is the promise. And, and we're going to look at that scripture uh, in a minute. But the only reason that we have access to these great promises is because we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire by being born again. Okay. Now, in he Hebrews 6.15... Oh, go ahead. So you said when we have uh, expectations, they're the breeding ground of offense? Mm-hmm. Like of others? When we... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people are like, well, shouldn't I expect so-and-so to behave this way? And shouldn't I expect... This and expect that. Well, I guess um, I have found it's a lot easier to live without expectations because when people do that or more, you're pleasantly surprised. But the reality, the reality is that our only expectation should be in Jesus Christ. But we can even put expectations on God that he doesn't do, nor is he obligated to do. You know, we can think that he's going to answer a prayer a certain way. 
And then when he doesn't answer it the way we thought, we get offended. Well, that's probably what John was starting to feel. Mm -hmm. You know, he was expecting, you know, some things. And it's like, have I missed it? Because of his expectations of what God was going to do in his mind. Absolutely. You know, he was faltering there. He was and then you have like marriages. I've seen marriages ruined because they think that they expect person be this way or that way and then they're not over and over and over and then you got these books that make all these idealistic things that can't even exist you know what I mean and people compare their marriage to other people's marriage same with kids put expectations on kids and how they should be and what they should be when they grow up I hang very loosely okay to expectations I hope that we all behave ourselves but we may not. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, but even with God, it's a very interesting thing because people can really get fussy when I start going after their expectations because you become overly attached to an outcome. That's what an expectation is. You become overly attached to an outcome, and when it doesn't happen, you get fussy. Well, and I read a little article, just a little, and it was like, what is our... Uh, about half and half of our marriage and divorce to statistics. And then about half, 40%. I, I think it's, it's actually 53. Yeah. Whatever it is. And the, uh, how much of that is caused by, you know, the prince is going to come. Oh, yeah. We Culture have, has, all the princesses. Yeah. And, you know, then you have some. And then you find out that prince out. farts and leaves yeah, his socks exactly. in the bathroom. And uh, then the princess uh, farts uh, as well. And then, yeah. you know, they're not that great looking maybe before they put on their makeup. You know, there's just all kinds they of say things. say something rude. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, our mindset in the princess movies, you know, does not prepare us for real life. Let's just I think one of the most dangerous um, expectations that society has created that love is something that you fall into and that you can fall out. Um, love is a choice. And absolutely, God has designed our brains to give us a cocktail of about a thousand plus chemicals that make us love sick, basically. And you bond to that person very quickly. If he didn't, we would never procreate. So God tricks us, right? <laughs> feel good but over time as you realize those expectations that you had of what marriage would look like and you're like wow this is nothing of what it was supposed to look like now you get into the choice factor right mm -hmm. and so it's like if you will if each person will stay committed and choose then what will happen is eventually all that cocktail it does wear off but then you get into the dopamine and they have found Couples that are happy 20 plus years, they have a continual dopamine release when they see each other, when they talk, when they do things together, and they have oxytocin. So they're very strong in their bond. But there's specific milestones that have to be reached, and most of those milestones are incredibly difficult seasons. Year three, year five, year seven, year 14, year 25 is often a tough one. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but 
But if you're married to an idiot and they just refuse to change and they're abusive and they're stupid, get rid of them. Seriously. And we can talk about the whole divorce thing. Oh, I thought you're only supposed to divorce because of adultery. No, I can tell you what that actually means. But this idealistic, you have to fall in love and stay in this passionate love. Man, can you imagine? You? You I mean, I love Mike with all my being. But, you know, you just... It's a lot of work. <laughs> and sometimes you just want sleep, you know? And, you know, like, if we're watching this show where the way this husband and wife interact is so much work, you know, it's like they, okay, I get where you're, I, 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 I validate the space that you're in, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh. It'd be, anyway, so yes, there's just where you, if you start off as best friends and you keep that focus you get even more and more close as you go, right? So it's the same thing with the Lord. Sometimes we place expectations on ourselves that I should be like passionate and romance and connection with God. Your personality may not be designed for that. And so you can have your connection with him, but it may not be the one that's over there bawling the minute Holy Spirit walks into the, the room and you're like, man, what is wrong with me? Why don't I feel him like others? All of those things need to be just cast away and say, Holy Spirit, form in me the relationship that I'm supposed to have based on how you designed me, and I'll trust that and not worry about what everybody else looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. I'm accepted by God. I don't have to worry about it. I mean, seriously, guys, I sometimes think, man, it is. Like, being a D or a C is not that great, quite frankly. Because, like, an I and an S, they feel God. You know, they can, ah, you know. And I'm like. <laughs> so I have to sit there and be like, okay, it says I love him if I'm obedient. I'm one of the most obedient people you'll find. So I love him. You know, because I don't necessarily feel, you know, it takes a lot. So, if I was to gauge my walk on other people's, you know, tears and all that, I'd probably be in trouble. Yeah, the scripture says, he said, if you keep my commandments, that proves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. But that doesn't mean that I don't make sure that there's not a disconnect, you know, due to maybe offense or pride or you know, sin like that. Like, I got to make sure, you know, that I am connected to him. But it can just be hard to gauge that sometimes because I don't feel a lot of connection. You know what I mean? Who, who here really feels him? <laughs> Anybody? I used to a long time ago. Real, real powerful walk. A lot. But as time went on, it got less and less to us. So I didn't gauge everything by feeling. You have to know he's there, yeah. even if no matter what you feel. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A few weeks ago, it's nice. It was a very, very clear night, very cold night, but very, very clear. Now, you read all the scriptures, and the heavens declare the handiwork of God, on and on and on. You have all these beautiful scriptures where you read them. Well, that's cool. That's nice. Yeah. I went out with Ruth, no fun. And all I did, I stood and went and I looked up and I went, oh my. And I. I don't know. Undone. I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. I just stood there going, yes, there's your handiwork. And I'm, I'm just, 
Rude's ready to go in. I'm not ready. I'm just looking up. Going, this is so beautiful. Every night, do I feel that? No. But that particular moment, I did. Yeah. Yeah. That one those to me are those hugs. And when I came and I went, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, and that's the way it typically ends up being for a C personality. They're more uh, task focused, you know. But um, I do feel that it is important for us to cultivate, you know, in worship and things like that. It's not to be an excuse, but obedience is how you gauge if you're truly loving them. You know what I mean? So. I think a lot of people can get into emotions and not realize. Now, um, in Hebrews 6.15, in the, the Passion, it says, So Abraham waited patiently in faith and succeeded in seeing the promise fulfilled. Now, patience in faith is key. You want to know how you're not in faith? You're fussy. Okay? So, patience in faith. And really, I personally don't see how you can have true biblical faith or patience without being in faith you know if you get out of faith for whatever it is that you're going after you're not going to have patience and so i want you to listen to aramaic of this because we're talking about holy spirit it says the name of abraham's actually not even mentioned in the greek text in this verse it literally is and he god bestowed his spirit and he Abraham received the kingdom isn't that interesting Abraham is a father of faith because Abraham is the first that received the kingdom what is the kingdom the kingdom is not meat and drink but righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost is that interesting So Abraham, by faith, received the Holy Spirit or the kingdom and what all that meant. Now, in Galatians 3, 13 through 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham can come to us so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith that's why we're called children of abraham because he was the first one to receive the kingdom or the spirit so this is very very interesting now it's obviously symbolic i i do believe that he possessed holy spirit now whether he lit on the inside of him i cannot tell you i know there are several instances where holy spirit's actually in a person he says it he says he was in uh, gideon he was in uh, Hiram and the other dude that built the tabernacle, um, uh, David, a couple times. So I'm not sure. But we do know that you couldn't be born again until God came, right, and died and was resurrected. So either way, we know that Holy Spirit received the blessing, and we received that same blessing, which is the Spirit. So... God bestowed his spirit and Abraham received the kingdom when the promised spirit came. It was foreshadowed in Isaac, but the promise wasn't just that Abraham would have a son. The promise was Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting because you're, he's the I am God in how he views his story. 
but he's also the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. So he operates in all realms of um, reality. It's, it's kind of a tough thing. So the point of that is, again, did Abraham get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Probably not. He probably received symbolically the Spirit, the promise. He received the kingdom. And it was like a, a prophetic act again, kind of of Abraham coming, right? Uh, or Isaac being uh, crucified and then him providing himself a ram. It's the same thing where uh, Jesus blew on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't come till later, right? So anyway, if you're confused, it's okay. All right. Now, verses 16 through 18, we'll finish. It says, It's very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves, for the oath will confirm their statements and end all dispute. So in the same way, God wanted to end all doubt and confirm it even more forcefully to those who would inherit his promises. His purpose was unchangeable. So God added his vow to the promise. So now he's got a vow on top of him just telling what he was going to do. So it's impossible for God to lie. For we know that his promise and his vow will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where, and this is important, this is where we find his strength and comfort. Where? In his heart of faithfulness. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. Okay, I love that. Run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. That's really, really good. Um, in Colossians, now, well, first of all, what's his purpose? Because his purpose is unchangeable, right? What is that? Colossians 1, 25 through 28. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope or expectation of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature. So the purpose is the indwelling. That will never change. That was the promise. That's been his purpose. Tag, you're it. Now go and do what I did, you know? So two things were his promise and his vow uh, in this verse. And so remember, the promise is the content and the vow is the calling of the divine being to guarantee the promise. So his vow is when he cut the animals and he walked through them, right? That was the vow right there. Okay. It will never, ever change. Now, our empowerment to seize what he's promised is found in his heart of faithfulness. We have to trust he's faithful. That's why any doctrine that undermines that truth is so dangerous because he is faithful even when we're not. Now, in the English Standard Version, it says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, which were the heirs of promise, by the way, that's us. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Okay, so let me break down a few words. Convincingly, this is literally, quote, a degree that is, which is considerably in excess of some point on an implied or explicit scale of extent, meaning God was bending over backwards to show Abraham that he would do what he promised. Okay, so that, that's convincingly. Fled means to become safe by taking refuge. Strong is iskoros. Now, this one's really neat. It's one of the four in energy words. It's from it, which is iskos. It means to be strong, mighty, and powerful, both physically and morally. It has the idea of being valiant in war. Basically, it's the idea of a strong bodybuilder or Superman. And so, it's kind of like the uh, mama bear behind the baby bear. Mama bear, she's iskos. Okay. Baby bear ain't iscus. <laughs> the mountain lion looks at baby bears like whatever. But then when mama bear shows up, the mountain lion runs because iscus has showed up. So that's what that word means. And then encouragement. I didn't know this. Uh, in this verse, it's uh, paraclesis. No. Yeah, so that should be very similar. You know, the paracletos, the Holy Spirit. It's encouragement and comfort. But get this. All of scripture is actually a paraclesis. For the purpose of strengthening and establishing. I never thought about it like that, but that's what that word, word means. The written word is the divine logos or expression, the person of the word who has become flesh. So we're both comforted, comforted by his written word and also him as the word. And then the final word is hope. It's the desire of some good with expectation of obtaining it. Now, I love this definition because it's not limited to only receiving those things when you're dead, which most Christians put the promises of God into that realm, which is irresponsible. Why? You don't need promises in that realm. So, uh, these Hebrews were experiencing tremendous pressure, and Paul was telling them, them that their hope for some good would happen only if they didn't lose heart. Things were going to change in their time, not when they died and went to heaven, but in their time. So uh, we need to be careful of that and not do that ourselves. Okay, so verses 19 through 20, we have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. And where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us, he is now and forever our royal priest like Melchizedek. So now we're going to start getting into Melchizedek, which is going to be interesting. I've come to a conclusion um, based on my studies, which you're not going to hear. You have to wait. <laughs> for the first century Christ followers, and even too numerous to count today, dying for your faith is a very real possibility. The threat of death made it crucial for them to be able to anchor themselves in the hope of a life after death. And the implication 
is if you turn away from Christ, you will not have that hope. That's what he's saying. You'll probably go to hell. The hope of eternal life was to be an anchor for the soul, meaning it would be the stabilizer for thoughts and emotions when faith with persecution, faced with persecution and possible death. Heaven is real. Jesus is seated there, and he blazed a trail for us to follow him there. So to renounce Jesus, no matter what you're facing, you will lose your salvation, is what Paul's saying. Now again, why didn't Peter? He wasn't born again yet. Okay, so that's why he didn't lose his. But listen to um, the Passion Translation on the word forerunner, because it says we have a forerunner. Jesus is our forerunner. It literally means trailblazer. Jesus has blazed a trail for us to enter into the sacred chamber and seize the hope that has been fulfilled in his eyes already. To have a company of king priests who will dwell with him in the holiest of holy, holies and minister from there out to the nations of the earth. The clear implication of verses 19 through 20 is that he takes us in to share his son and his ministry as the royal priest. So we see that both are joining here, the now and the to come, the here and the there. He's established a new priestly order of king priests in the likeness of Melchizedek. We right now are to dwell with him in the holiest of holiest, holies in heaven and minister from there out to the nations of the earth. God's purposes will be fulfilled in the earth. That is our hope. That is the anchor of our soul. We can rest in that and allow that expectation to take us into the inner place where Jesus is seated. Now, all of us have experienced a contradiction of promise. We've all believe something, and it's like we're living the exact opposite. You know, Abraham did, Moses did, David did, uh, Joseph did, everybody did. That's a normal thing. But you've got to anchor yourself into the fact that if Jesus said, it's Easter, you better paint those eggs. That's, that's the thing. If you're in July and he says it's Easter, paint the eggs. You can take his word all the way to the bank. You know what I mean? We can believe him. He never, never fails. So, um. Oh, I, I was like, what the heck did I put there? So if I say he never fails and there's any ping of doubt or memory of a time that you prayed and it didn't happen, I'd suggest that you get in prayer. Because wounded faith will definitely keep you from experiencing the, the promises of God. Oh, okay. Thank you. 